Tonight, we're finally finishing Luke. Two and a half years later, we're doing it. So we're in Luke 24, and we're going to be reading verses 50 through 53. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, blessing God. Good evening. August 15th, 2010. That was the first sermon in Luke that we did. So a little bit more than two and a half years ago. And uh, yeah, that's just how we roll here. Any of you interested in what book we're going to be doing next? We're going to look at the book of Ruth. So uh, someone in the church, when I told them this, they got really excited because it's a love story. So they were telling me like, oh, wow, the church is really going to grow because it's a love story. and, And all these people, you know. How many of you would guess that that was a man who said that? How many of you would guess that it was a woman who said that? It was a man. The man. Because we guys here at Regen are really deep and um, we just have feelings. I'm going to take about three months to unpack this love story for all us guys. Before you men get too excited, we're going to wrap up the Gospel of Luke. So uh, I'm just going to pray. Father, thank you for your word. We cherish it so much, and Lord, we adore you. And Father, may you fill us with your Holy Spirit. May these scriptures be open up to us and have us to gain understanding that is from you. In Jesus' name, amen. What we have here in the last several verses here in the Gospel of Luke is essentially Jesus' ascension. Now, the ascension is one of those things where I think it gets lost to a lot of Christians and lost to many people in the world for that matter. Because if you look at major Christian happenings, the world knows about those things. So, for example, Christmas. Most of the world knows Christmas, right? Most of the world even knows why Christmas originated, right? That the birth of Jesus. And it's celebrated worldwide, not Everyone celebrates for the right reasons, most likely for the wrong reasons, but many people at least know what it was originally celebrating. And the same thing for Jesus' death and resurrection. Most people in the world would know Easter. Many parts of the world celebrate Easter, so same thing in that it's celebrated probably for the wrong reasons, but at least some know about the original reason for that celebration. But what about the ascension? This is a pretty major thing within Christianity. How often do people think about the ascension? And if we were to ask people about what Jesus is doing now, what would they say? And I think many people, including Christians, would be stumped at this question. What is Jesus doing now? Uh, um, I don't know. Yet this is how the Gospel of Luke ends and how Luke begins his next book, the book of Acts. Now if you thought about this, wouldn't the story of Jesus be severely lacking if the story of the ascension was not in it? Because it's so vital, it's a critical event, because if we stopped at the birth of Jesus, we'd just get a baby Jesus. And if we stopped at the death of Jesus, we'd get a beaten and defeated Jesus. And if we stopped at the resurrection, we'd get a victorious Jesus who was victorious over sin and death. But 
It wasn't until the ascension that his followers were empowered by the Holy Spirit and that Jesus is at the side of God the Father. And we wouldn't have that. Jesus is the ascended king. So let's take a further look into where Jesus is, what he is doing in these last verses of Luke. And we'll also look into the book of Acts and we'll actually start there. Acts chapter 1 verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't die, resurrect, and just head right off to be by God's side. He presented himself alive to them for 40 days. Now why did he do this? He loved them. He deeply loved them. Yes, Jesus is their Savior and their King. Jesus is also their friend. So He takes some time to speak about the Kingdom of God to them, to address any of their fears, to answer any of their questions, teaching them, giving them His time, His his energy, everything just giving to them generously and, and pouring grace upon them. Let's look back to Luke 24, verses 45 through 49 really quickly. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high." Now notice what Jesus did. He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and He got them ready to receive the Holy Spirit before He ascended. He made sure that the proper arrangements were made before He left, before His departure. That their minds were opened to understand the Scriptures and that they were prepared for the Holy Spirit to arrive and be amongst them, in them, fill them before they did anything. Jesus is such a loving Savior. We have such a loving friend. He stayed and encouraged them at a time when things were changing so dramatically and so drastically for them. And Jesus knew that this transition was going to be tough. That's why He stayed for 40 days. Think about this. Plug in some people in your mind into this story. Let's take Mary, for example. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, who carried Jesus for nine months. Who gave birth to Him. Who raised Him as a child. Who was with Him through adolescence. Who was with Him when He was in adulthood. Who was feeding Him, caring for Him. All those years of His life. Then to eyewitness her son being murdered. Killed. She needed Jesus to be around her after that trauma. After suffering such trauma, after experiencing such a horrifically painful time in her life, it was redeemed during those 40 days. It was true. Everything the Scripture said was true. What Angel Gabriel said was true. All the sacrifice, all this stuff, it's true. And her mourning at that time turned into dancing. And she lived, Psalm chapter 30, verse 11, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. And people like Thomas, people like Thomas needed Jesus to be there for those 40 days. Otherwise, we would have a doubting Thomas continue to doubt. 
So John chapter 20, Thomas said he wouldn't believe Jesus was alive unless he saw Jesus' nail-pierced hands. He wouldn't believe Jesus was alive unless he got to touch Jesus' wounds. But guess what? He got that experience. Jesus showed up. Thomas did see Jesus' wounds. He did feel Jesus' wounds. And then he believed. He needed Jesus to stick around. Or if you look at someone like Peter. Peter who denied Jesus three times. Peter who said, you know, if they all leave you, I'm never going to leave you. I, I would die for you. I would go to jail for you. I would do anything for you. And he failed. He failed miserably. And so what does he end up doing? He ends up going back to his old job. He ends up fishing. So he's fishing out there and just doing his thing. He's not able to catch anything. Some dude at the shore says, hey, how are things going? Not so good. And he says, hey, try the other side of the boat. What? Hey, just try the other side of the boat. They find out it's Jesus. Peter jumps in the water, swims over him. And there Jesus ministers to him. During those 40 days, Jesus loved him, forgave him, despite those failures, despite all the denials. And in John chapter 21, Jesus cooked them up some breakfast, some fish for breakfast. Awesome. How many of you have had fish for breakfast? Really? You're the only non-Asian that raised your hand. <laughs> and there Jesus gave three opportunities to confess His allegiance to Jesus to show Peter that you know those three denials? I'm washing them away. Let's do a do-over. We're going to reset this. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Jesus replied to Peter's yeses by saying, feed my sheep. So in other words, do what I've told you to do. You know that the denial stuff that you did in the past? Just do what you're supposed to do now. You're forgiven. I love you. I'm here for you. I'm seeking specifically for you. I know you must feel terrible. And so the story of Jesus doesn't end at His birth. It doesn't end at His death. It doesn't end at His resurrection. Because His story doesn't end. He's still alive. It's everlasting. He's alive. He's ascended to be King. And there are Christians who focus on the crucified Christ. And there are Christians who focus on the resurrected Christ. But how many Christians focus on the ascended Christ? Wouldn't that be a more complete picture of who Jesus is since that is the event that brings completion to the story of Jesus? And He's in glory forever. So what is Jesus doing and where is He? Let's first start out by looking at John chapter 14, verses 2-3. through three. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. Romans 8, chapter 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Where is He? Right hand of God. What is He doing? Interceding for us. Now we're going to get into more of these things because the Bible is full of where Jesus is at and what He's doing, and we'll do that in a little bit. But I want to get into our text because I might go out over three years if we don't start now. So verse 50. 
Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Jesus accomplished his mission. He lived a sinless life according to God's will, was able to atone for our sins through his death and resurrection, and he stayed with his followers for 40 days after his resurrection, and the time came for him to ascend. And Jesus led them to Bethany. Bethany was a place that Jesus was very familiar with because he had some really, really good friends there, Mary, Lazarus, and Martha, to be exact, to name them. And so when he got to Bethany, that was it. Sayonara, right? I'm taking off. And so his mission was truly accomplished, and his parting act was blessing them. Now, his ascension wasn't a surprise to them. Not at all, right? They knew about it way before it happened. You look back to Luke 9. You look back to chapter 9. It's a Mount of Transfiguration. So this was uh, when Jesus and Elijah and Moses are talking to each other, picking up in verse 30. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now you notice who was there. It's Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. And they're talking about his departure. The story of Jesus is incomplete without it. And so looking at the word departure, do you know what word is in the Greek for departure? The Greek word for departure is exodus. Who's there again at the Mount of Transfiguration? It's Elijah, Moses, and Jesus. Talking about a powwow of exodus, there's no one better to have there. It's the exodus. So here these guys are, are sharing stories about the exodus, and Moses probably there saying, hey man, thanks, thanks for giving me that staff, and I part of the Red Sea is amazing. Thank you for helping me lead the people out, and it was a great thing. Thank you for giving me. And Jesus, calm down, Mo. Mo this is stories about me. And so let's talk about what we're going to do here. Moses sharing about his leading of the Exodus to take people out of slavery, out of the bondage of slavery. And Jesus was like, that was cute. I'm going to take people out of the bondage of sin. Basically, you laid down a royal flush, right? You got a full house. And so Moses and him, they're having this power and they're talking about this stuff. And Jesus spoke of his ascension in another part as well. He, He said something to Mary. Not his mom, his friend. In John chapter 20, verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now back to verse 50 in Luke 24. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Now you notice the verbs here, the first verb, led. That Jesus led them. He led them. He is leading us out of sin. Just as Moses was leading the exodus for the people out of slavery, out of the bondage of slavery from Egypt, Jesus is leading His people out of sin. And if you want to break free from the bondage of sin, you have to follow Him. You don't make up your own destination. You don't make up the rule. He has laid it down. Right? He is laying the path for you to get out of sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20-23. through 23. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at His coming those who belong to Christ. First it's Christ, 
then it's those who belong to Christ. You don't go before Him. You can't. Your blood's no good. Your blood is just for yourself and therefore you would be just dead. You can't redeem. You can redeem yourself, but then you'd be dead. So He is the first, the first fruits. And He leads only as He can. And you notice the second verb here in verse 50, lift. Lifting up His hands. This was a customary sign to go along with blessing. So if you look at Moses when he blessed people, if you looked at Jacob in, in, in Genesis when he blessed, and anyone in leadership when they blessed, they lifted up their hands. This had a significant meaning for them, especially as this was the parting act of an ascending Jesus. Now think about this. This wouldn't be possible if Jesus resurrected straight from the tomb and to the right hand of the Father. Right? There would be no parting blessing. And yet here Jesus is like, I'm going to stick around for 40 days. I want you guys to know I'm blessing you and I want this picture in your head. I'm going to be with the Father and I am blessing you. And I want this picture to be imprinted in your mind that you know that. That I I didn't just leave. I believe in closure. I believe that I'm going to give you a peace of mind to let you know that, yeah, I'm going It's not going to be hearsay or made up. You're going to see me go up to the Father and I'm going to part from you by giving you blessing. And the disciples would have missed out on that blessing. They would have missed out on that picture of glory and the ascended Christ if He did not ascend. If it just went from resurrection straight to God, they would have missed a huge, huge encouragement. A huge blessing. This is one of the things that had them believe. It wasn't just the resurrection. It was that He ascended. That He stuck around with them for 40 days. This is what got the wheels turning for them to change the world. Verse 51, While He blessed them, He parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Notice that Jesus blessed them as He parted from them. And so this is just a beautiful picture left imprinted on His followers, parting with blessing. And Jesus just loves to bless us. He loves it. And there are people who believe that God is a God of cursing. But you look at this beautiful picture of Jesus. He is blessing. How do you view Jesus? How do you view your Savior He desires to bless you and He makes it very clear to His followers that He leaves them with blessing. Now why did Jesus bless them? Because they have quite a responsibility. They are in charge of spreading the Gospel to the world. I don't think it would be possible for them if Jesus went straight from the grave to God to do this task. I don't think they would have built up the gumption. They would have built up the confidence because it was because Jesus raised and He showed Himself to them for 40 days, teaching them, encouraging them, telling them, and saying, when I leave, you guys are going to get something awesome. The Holy Spirit. And He's going to empower you to do an amazing thing. You are going to be teaching the Scriptures like no other. You are going to evangelize and disciple and, and do things like no one's ever done before, you are going to flip the world upside down. And they only receive that encouragement and that confidence because of the ascension. 
Because he was with them for 40 days. Can you imagine if it was just empty tomb and he's gone? Where would they get that equipping? Where would they get that confidence? Where would they get that empowerment? It's through that 40 days and then the ascension that they get it. So they get the Holy Spirit. Yes, Jesus is physically in bodily form leaving him. But he's leaving so that they can receive the Holy Spirit and go about the Great Commission. Making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Going to the ends of the earth to do this, right? So they were going to share the gospel, the kingdom of God, beginning in Jerusalem. Exactly where they were at, but empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus had to depart in order for the Holy Spirit to come. John chapter 16, verses 7 through 11. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in Me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see Me no more. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus led He lifted his hands, blessed, and he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. His ascension. Critical. So critical that this is all that is written about it. But this is just how consistently mysterious the Bible is. Because if you look at other significant events of the Bible, it's the same thing. Very little is written about them. So for example... The birth of Jesus. God becoming man. Huge. Volumes upon volumes of books written by hundreds, thousands of authors writing about this subject. And this is what the Bible tells us. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And that's about it. That's the birth of Jesus. That's God becoming man. That's about it. Yeah, you can have all the supporting scriptures and you can all this, but in terms of the gospel story, this is it. Then nothing about like, oh, Mary's childbirth was painful and oh, it was terrible. It was like a 10 hour labor and all this. Nothing like that. Just he's born, chapter 2, verse 7. And then what about the crucifixion? His death. What atoned for our sins, what redeemed us, what gives us relationship to God because His blood now covers us. Luke 23, verse 33. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified Him and the criminals, one on His right and one on His left. And that's about it. That's it. And so it's the same thing for the ascension. Another huge Theme, no way the disciples spread the gospel through the entire world and changed the world without the ascension. Luke 24, 51, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. That's it. Why does Luke do this? Why doesn't he give us more details? Well, part of it, he doesn't want me to do the study for 10 years, but anyway. But Zechariah understood why. Zechariah wrote in chapter 4, verse 6, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Paul understood why. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. 
Jesus said in John chapter 20, verse 29, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. It's about faith. It's all about faith. It's purposely written that way because this is not about intellectual thinking. This is not about philosophy. This is not about apologetic. This is about faith. Believing in Jesus Christ's incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, those are not matters of intellect. These are matters of faith. And so you won't understand and you won't arrive at belief without humility and openness to the Holy Spirit and to the Scriptures by faith. Now, Jesus was the epitome of humility, which is why He is the one carried up to heaven, which is why He is the Son of God. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3-11. through 11, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. God the Father brought Jesus home and restored him to his rightful place of majesty. The ascension. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. John chapter 16, verse 5. I am going to him who sent me. So he's no longer physically here, but he is spiritually still present with us, and he's left us the Holy Spirit. What the ascension made available was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, the subsequent spiritual gifts given to the church for ministry, given to us personally, and given to us so that we can serve one another. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. When He ascended on high, He led a host of captives, and He gave gifts to men. Now, if you want to study more about the ascension and you want to study more about spiritual gifts, you can study Ephesians chapter 4 and it's all there for you. So, what is Jesus doing now? Several things. We'll just do three of them. What is He doing now? He's upholding the universe. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Another thing Jesus is doing right now, He's ruling the church. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church. If you want to read more about that, Ephesians chapter 1 is where you'll find that. A third thing he's doing is he's helping his children. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 18, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. 
Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Now the book of Hebrews is a wealth of information if you want to look into what Jesus is presently doing. Ephesians and Hebrews. There it is for you. Back to our text, verse 52, Luke 24. And they worshipped Him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. This response is so bizarre to me. It's bizarre because it's not consistent at all with their previous responses. Right? Because when the followers of Jesus respond to spiritual things, they usually respond in fear or they usually respond in a negative way. Don't they? Right? So you look at the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus, wake up! We're perishing! Jesus is right there with them, but they're afraid. Jesus arrests in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right after, he's like, "Ah, I'm gonna, we're, we're going to stand up for you and we're, none of us are going to leave you. And they come and here comes Malchus and Peter chops off his ear. Jesus picks up his ear, heals him. And then he's like, oh, we're not fighting? Ah! And so they run, they flee because they're scared. They're like, oh, if we're not fighting, we're dying. Right? So let's get out of here. And so Jesus stood there by himself and he goes off to jail. He goes to Caiaphas' house, goes to the trial and does that whole thing. Jesus appears as a resurrected Jesus in the locked room. They're all huddled up and they lock the doors because they're afraid. Jesus shows up and says, peace be with you. Ah! It's fear, right? Always fear, always startle, always negative light, always not a positive response. This is their track record. This is how they respond to spiritual things. So now it's positive. I'm just like, what? Because they did this again. The women, they go to the tomb with all the spices and stuff. Tomb is empty. Stone is rolled away. They run back to the disciples and they tell them, Stone's rolled away. Body's gone. Oh, idle tales. Women. Ah. Right? And it's just always this negative stuff. They were like, man, you're unbelievable. You're crazy. So you take into consideration the track record of the followers of Jesus and all the negative responses that they give of fear and of doubt and disbelief and all this stuff, this is really out of the ordinary. And they worshipped Him. What? It's only possible because of the 40 days. It's only possible because they were witnesses to the ascension. The ascension is critical to the Christian faith. And so, yeah, they made a lot of mistakes, just like I told you, all those mistakes that they made in the past. But here... They get it right. They got it right. They worshipped Him as only God can be worshipped. And if anything else is worshipped, or if anyone else is worshipped, that is idolatry. But this time, they didn't respond in fear. They didn't respond in doubt. They didn't respond in timidity. This time, they responded with assurance, with confidence, with certainty. No more Thomas like, I'm not going to believe unless I can touch it. None of that anymore. They're like, yeah, we're ready. We're going to go back to Jerusalem right after we say our goodbyes because we're going to wait for the Holy Spirit and we're ready. And so they got a glimpse into the experience of true worship, of real worship, of the worship that the leper had in Luke chapter 17. Remember that story? The story of the ten lepers? 
they're crying out to Jesus to heal them, and Jesus heals them, and nine of them go away, but then only one comes back. And that one came back praising God with a loud voice, falling at Jesus' feet, giving Him thanks. That was true worship. And these guys got to experience that. And returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. And so you see how they've changed from when Jesus died and they're living in fear and they're locking themselves up to Jesus' ascension and they are ready. No more hiding in fear. What are they doing? They are living and worshiping boldly, openly in the temple before these guys are locked up in their own rooms. They're probably telling, hey, don't, shh, not so loud. Do it quiet, quiet like. Mm, right? Now they're just like, ah, like they're in the temple. I don't care. Sacred religious leaders hang Jesus on the cross. Mm, I don't care. You know why? Because I just spent 40 days with him. I just saw him go up. Whatever you do to me, I don't care. Because it's real. It's not just simply a dead Jesus. And it's not simply just an empty tomb where they still are locked up. Now it's, he ascended. He was with me for 40 days. I don't care. This temple is mine. I'm worshiping at this temple. And so they're not scared anymore. They're doing it in plain sight of these guys. And you notice what they did in verse 52. They returned to Jerusalem. Right? This was an act of obedience. And this is the place where Jesus died, right outside the city gates in Jerusalem. You know what? We're going to go right back there. We're going to go right back there. We're going to go in the heart of that place. We're going to go to the place where they convicted our Lord and Savior and where they killed Him. We're going right back there because that's where Jesus told us to go. And we're going to do that in obedience. And that's where the spiritual work would start. Verse 49, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is important. Because how many times do we go about ministry without waiting from power on high? We just kind of go because we're like, oh, that's a really good thing to do. That's the right thing to do. But then how often is that just done out of our flesh? And if it's done out of our flesh, that's all it goes It goes to your skill set. It goes to your ability. It goes to your gifting. And then that's it. But if we were to wait with power from on high, what we would do would be miraculous. What we would do would be supernatural. Just like these guys. Change the world. You and I are here 2,000 years later because they waited. They were obedient. They went back to where Jesus told them to wait and they got empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they did it with great joy. Now, why wouldn't they? They knew they were going to be empowered by God. They were with the resurrected Christ for 40 days, saw the ascension. Of course they would go. They would be dumb not to go. Oh, that was great, 40 days. Hey, see, I'm going to go back fishing. Yeah, I, I, I I just can't buy it, you know. What? Who wouldn't walk in obedience with great joy if you knew God was going to meet you there? You knew it! So why don't we act consistently in obedience like this? I think it's because we don't know it. Right? I think it's because we've lost sight of the ascended Christ and maybe we're just looking at the crucified Christ. We're just looking at the resurrected Christ. And we're stuck like those disciples would have been stuck there if they didn't witness the ascended Christ. 
we need to see the ascended Christ, that Jesus is alive, that he has blessed us to do his work, and he is working in us. Not simply that the tomb is empty. Not simply because our sins are are covered. We have a mission to do. And when we lose sight of Jesus, we lose sight of His mission, His will, and the obedience to fulfill that mission, that's no longer a priority. Because we're just happy, oh, He died for our sins. I'm cleansed from our sins. Oh, He resurrected. He's victorious of those sins. Therefore, I'm cool. He ascended though. And He told those guys to do something for 40 days. They had a clear view of the ascended Christ. And for us, I think we struggle with this because we don't. We don't. And so when we have a clear understanding of the ascended Christ, there is a clarity to His will for us. And so this path of obedience, it's free and clear for us to walk in. Because we see Him. We know Him. Gone is fear. Gone is confusion when you know what God has instructed you to do. And we know through the Scriptures. But we probably are taking the perspective of, oh, that's given by a resurrected Christ. Not so much an ascended Christ. They knew and they understood. Jesus said, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Knowing the ascended Christ brings about worship, obedience, great joy, and praise. Now, take a look at this description of joy in verse 52. It says, great joy. Now, look at verse 41. Notice the difference here. They disbelieved for joy. Verse 41, they couldn't believe it. It was so good. It was a joyous time. But it was so unbelievable. It was awesome. Like, full of joy. And it's unbelievable joy. But then, you get to verse 52. And what is it? It is great joy. You see the difference? Verse 41 was one of like disbelief. Like, oh my gosh, I I can't even believe this is so good. Verse 52 is, we know this one. This is not disbelief. He's been with us for 40 days. This is awesome. This is great. Now we're wrapping up the Gospel of Luke tonight. And a lot has been covered over the past two and a half years. About 102 sermons worth. So if you've missed any, you can go back into podcasts and look at all that stuff. So there it is. I have several closing questions for you to ponder on. Have you encountered the ascended Christ? I know a lot of you are Christians. You've encountered the crucified Christ and you've encountered the resurrected Christ. But have you encountered the ascended Christ? And does your life reflect that? Because is it a life of worship, of obedience, great joy, and praise? Blessing. And if not, God is a God of love. God is a God of grace. And you can start all over. Look at Thomas. Look at Peter. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. How many of you just wanted to break out in song there? Like, how many of you know that song? That's right. Only us old schoolers know that one. Right? You know, the newer people are like, well, what's that song? Vintage. Vintage song. Worship, obedience, great joy, and praise. What do these things have in common? 
They can't be artificially manufactured within yourself. It comes from springing genuinely from you, from within, from your heart. Right? They come from the heart. True worship, true obedience, true joy, true praise. They come from deep within you because there's a genuine love toward whomever brings that out of you. It draws that out of you. That person that you're dating. Oh. We're heading into the book of Ruth. You can be a little sappy right here. They bring that out of you, right? They bring out that great joy. They bring out an obedience. You're not going to do stupid things, right? You're going to stay loyal. You're going to do things that make them happier. That just springs out of you if you have a marriage in its good state, right? So how is your relationship with Jesus this evening? Are you brought to worship? Are you brought to obedience? Are you brought to a great joy? Are you brought to a place of praise, of blessing? Now, there's a really interesting thing of how Luke kind of bookends his gospel. And we're going to go through a lot of scriptures, but they're all contained in two chapters. So um, you can just jot these down. I'll I'll go through them pretty quickly. But I, I want to point out this observation. When Luke started out his biography of Jesus, he started it by writing in chapters 1, verses 3 through 4, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Now, we need to keep this in mind as we live our lives as followers of Jesus and we use the Gospel of Luke as a scripture to help guide us into that. And this common theme is found in Luke at the beginning of Luke as well as at the end of Luke. These themes of worship, obedience, great joy, and praise. And so we're going to turn back to the first chapter of Luke, and I just want to show you several people that this is exhibited in. People of worship, obedience, great joy, and praise. And the birth of Jesus required all of these elements from God's people. The resurrection, the crucifixion, the ascension requires these from God's people. But firstly, let's take a look at Zechariah and Elizabeth, Luke chapter 1. As I read these verses to you, keep in mind these four things. Worship, obedience, great joy, and praise. Luke chapter 1, verse 6. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Verse 9. He was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Worship. Verse 14. You will have joy and gladness. Verse 64. Zechariah, after John the Baptist was born, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God. Verse 67. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. You notice these things in them? Worship, obedience, great joy, praise, Let's look at another couple, Mary and Joseph. Still in chapter 1, starting in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Obedience. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Praise. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Verses 46 through 47. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Worship, obedience, great joy, praise. Let's look at the shepherds. Chapter 2, verse 20. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. 
Fourth person to look at is Simeon. Chapter 2, verses 25 through 26. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. Verse 28. He took him up in his arms and blessed God. Worship, obedience, great joy, praise. Last example. Anna the prophetess. Luke chapter 2, verses 37 through 38. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Worship, obedience, great joy, and praise. Luke started his gospel with people of worship, obedience, great joy, and praise. And he ended his gospel with his followers saying bye to Jesus, heading back to Jerusalem, who were worshipful, obedient, full of great joy, and praising the Lord. And so they returned to Jerusalem waiting for the Holy Spirit so that they would be empowered to deliver the greatest news ever told. That God loves you and wants to have a relationship with you, but something is in the way, namely sin. But through Jesus, there's a way for that relationship to be reconciled, to be restored. There is now, through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins if we repent of our sins by faith. And this is our mission. This is the mission of the ascended Christ. The mission didn't stop with those who just saw Jesus ascend and it was just with them. It carries through to us. Jesus' mission carries through to us. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We have the opportunities to live as people of worship, obedience, great joy, and praise in glory and honor of our ascended King, Jesus. It's the same thing. Starting where we are at. Where's our Jerusalem? It's Oakland. Here. It's just starting here. And we are to go to the ends of the earth. Right? In Acts chapter 1 8, you go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, then Judea. Judea is just what's familiar, right? Judea is just like uh, for us, the, the Bay Area is familiar. Whereas like somebody from Oklahoma would feel kind of uncomfortable here. Not for us. That's our Samaria, right? If we went to Oklahoma, that's our Samaria. Something totally foreign. And then the ends of the earth, everywhere else. For us to have a posture and a heart to reach the world with the gospel, we are given that great commission. How are we doing? Do your colleagues know you're even a Christian? We want to be respectful of our workplaces. You know, we only do it during times where it's appropriate, whether it's like your break or off hours or at your lunch or something. I'm not saying like be obnoxious and instead of working, you're sharing the gospel. I mean, that's a bad testimony. If you're in school, do your classmates know or does your family know? Two things we don't talk about in this house, religion and politics. We do both. It is disastrous, yes. But we do it. We do it. It has to be done. Right? It has to be done. So, Do people know, are are we fulfilling this? Or are we stuck with just seeing a resurrected Christ, but not the ascended Christ? We need to get to that place where we've experienced Jesus in bodily form with us for 40 days, and then He ascended. And we need to get to that space and not 
be content with just, oh, Christ died and resurrected for me. That's it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your servant, Luke, who wrote this gospel for us to study. And I pray, Lord, that this is more than just information and conviction, Lord, that this is something that drives us to change, something that drives us to transformation. I pray, Lord, for the people here, that you would empower them by your Holy Spirit to go about doing your kingdom work. Father, that they would be bold and courageous in sharing your gospel. Lord, whatever you have them to do in obedience, whether it's to wait where they're at, or do uh, whatever your bidding is, Lord. I pray that they are sensitive to your voice and they would be able to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.